0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. I know you already know what Joshua chapter 2 says because you've been reading it this week, right? We are going to be a people of the Word of God. And every week I'm going to try to remember to ask you, have you been reading the Bible? So you don't have to answer out loud No, now yet. But in a couple of weeks, you're going to all have read it. You're going to be dying to answer that question aloud and say, Yes, we've been reading the Bible. So be reading the Bible this week. If you don't have a reading plan, may I recommend you read Joshua? Read it over and over. Uh, if you don't just want to read Joshua, then you can read lots of good Bible reading plans out there. I'm doing one called the Five Day Plan. It gives me two days to mess up on. And so I can still get through either the whole Bible in a year or the New Testament in a year, whichever you choose. So five-day reading plan, just Google that and you'll find it. But read through Joshua chapter 3 next week. We're going to get, I think, part of chapter 3 next week. But uh, be reading the Bible. And if I don't ask you, then tell me, hey, you're supposed to ask us to read the Bible. And I'm going to try to remember to do that every week. All right, so today we pick up where we left off last week. What was going on last week in Joshua chapter 1? Well, Joshua was scared to death. Joshua knew exactly what God had called him to do. He didn't. He wasn't wondering. It was a clear direction. You're going to take my people across the Jordan River into this promised land. But there's a problem. He was scared to death to have to follow Moses, of all people, the greatest leader of all time. His birth, his life, everything was a miracle from one end to the other end of his life. It was all about miracles of God. Joshua has to step into his sandals and lead the people of Israel. That in itself is reason enough to get into the fetal position and cry. But he also had to cross the Jordan River. It's at flood stage. It's impossible. I mean, this is a sure way to lead my people, this nation of people to death, is to cross this river. And then if I do survive and get to the other side of the river, I've got to face Fortified cities with massive armies. Everything about Joshua's calling screamed, you are going to fail miserably. And so Joshua is terrified. How do I obey and fulfill my calling? And what did God say to him? We said it would probably be a little frustrating, but God put a Bible in his hand and said, just be careful To do everything that I tell you to do. And what we saw, the reason that is so important is because if you know you are obeying God, then you know God is with you wherever you go. And if God is for you, then who can be against you? That's the point last week is be strong and courageous. And how do you do that? Is because you know you're walking out the plans and the promises and the purposes of God. And if you're doing that, God is with you and nobody can stop God. So what is before you? What is the river? What is this battle before you that you are terrified and you're afraid you're going to fail at? Well, if you know this is God's will, then you can know with certainty you're not going to fail because God is with you. Today we see Joshua chapter 2, continuing the story. Apparently Joshua got enough confidence to say, okay, all right, God is with me. He's sovereign. He's this big, massive, sovereign, faithful God that I can trust in. And so therefore, all I've got to do is sit here and do nothing. No, that's not what happens. When we grasp the sovereign and power of God, it does not lead us to, to do nothing It does not render our actions meaningless. In fact, it does the exact opposite. It moves us to action. It moves us to obedience. And so we see in Joshua 2, chapter 1, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, the city right outside the river. It says, go in, view the land, especially Jericho, and so they went in to Jericho. And so we see immediately as God calls us to our obedience and calls us to, our, to fulfill our purposes... And we talked last week that if you don't know your particular calling because it sounds so mysterious, okay, don't worry about that. Just open your Bible and start reading. I promise you, you will have very clear commands and instructions from God that you need to obey. And I promise you, you will find the need for courage and strength to obey that calling. And as you shudder To obey, you begin to see who God is and how faithful and sovereign he is. But that never leads you to say, well, I don't need to do anything. No, it motivates you to begin to plan and to work and to work hard and to to battle and to, to plan what will be the path here. And you trust every step of obedience that God is going to be with you. And so we see he sends them in, but he says, especially think about Jericho especially when you go in spies and you go into the land, I want you to especially check out Jericho. Now, why is that? You see, the place that they're going to cross the river, the only place that they could really do it, they're going to be walking into a very precarious situation. Not a good idea. Cross the river, let the river be flooding behind you, and then have a fortified city, Jericho, with great walls in front of you. You are going to be trapped immediately in a very precarious position. Isn't that just like God? God is not afraid to put us in precarious positions. Flooding river behind us, massive fortified city in front of us. What do we do? God wants us in a place of humble, desperate dependence upon the Lord. So what we're going to see in this chapter is further evidence of the faithfulness of God. This story is all about God. Lord, as we study this passage, as these... People start to take steps of obedience. May we not just see what the spies did. May we not just see what Rahab did. May we see what you did to honor your promises. Lord, give us hearts that swell with confidence in your faithfulness so that we can take steps of faith. And it's in Christ's precious name, I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to read this story looking for evidence of God's faithfulness, evidence of how God is faithful to Joshua in this story. And what we're going to see is as they move into Jericho, we see the first person they meet Is a person named Rahab. Now who is Rahab? Oh she is this godly woman. She is a woman of noble character. She is what Proverbs speaks about. No she's not. She's a whore. She's a prostitute. That's the Bible's word for it. She is a prostitute. And she's not a a Jew. She's a Gentile. And she's not living among God's people. She's in the land that God said. Go in there and conquer. And so she has every Reason to hate these spies, to turn these spies away. She is apparently running a hotel at the in the very entrance of Jericho, and she's a prostitute, so she's got this little side business as well. And so if anybody had a reason not to upset the local authorities, it was Rahab. You don't want to cross them, or you will lose your livelihood. They will shut down your business, both of them, or they will kill you and your family. And so as we see these spies come to Rahab, we see a picture of a Gentile sinner. Now I ask you, as you read Joshua 2 this week, because I know you did, as you read Joshua 2 this week, which character in the story did you most identify with? Some of you thought, I'm the spy. I'm this cool undercover agent going in and strong and courageous, crossed in the little shallow parts of the river that, He's all worried about, I can get across there, and I'm in there conniving, and I'm the spy. Some of you, sadly, are like, I'm the king. I'm the king, and I'm... No, that's not a good idea. Don't identify with the king either. Who we should be identifying with most is Rahab. We are the Gentile sinners represented by Rahab. We are the prostitutes. We are the ones... Shatim where it says that Joshua and the people were were waiting and sending the spies from, was the city of prostitutes. It's the city of of false gods of Baal and Ashtaroth that, that were t- that were gods of fertility and they had temple prostitutes. Their theology about their God is reflected in their sex lives where they think that they will, they will worship God through temple prostitutes. It's, it's a terrible picture and Not far away, you see Rahab, who's made that her way of life, that she's incorporated that into the the promised land. And she's this prostitute woman running a hotel, and, and the spies come in. And what we should see is we are represented by Rahab. Immediately, as Joshua begins his first steps of faith, don't you know he was scared to death? We saw last week he's terrified, and he's like, I don't know. Let's let's send in spies. Well, I didn't go too good 40 years ago. Well, they sent in 12. Let's send in two, because we had two that got it right. Me and Caleb got it right. We're going to send in two spies to go into the land. And it's going to be a secret mission, but unfortunately, WikiLeaks got a hold of it. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Immediately. First steps. Failure. This was supposed to be a secret mission. And yet the king who is the the ruler of the city-state Jericho already knows about it somehow. He hears about their secret mission and he sends people to Rahab's house. The king of Jericho, verse 3, sent word to Rahab saying, "'Bring out the men who have come to you, "'who have entered your house, "'for they have come to search out all the land.'" And so immediately we see the spies again in a terrible situation. They're trying to obey God. They're trying to just take the land that he just told us we can take the land. How many times do you feel like the spies? You're just trying to take steps of obedience. And it just seems like all that happens is problems. And so you're sitting there at the door. And and the king, you're sitting there hiding. And you hear the king's men at the door. And you know what's going on. You know Rahab. She has no reason to cover for you. And she's at the door going, no, they're not here. And so they have, to, they have no reason to trust the Lord here. Everything in their sight, everything in their circumstance says God is failing you. At this point in the story, we're left wondering, what will Rahab do? But really, as readers of the story, having read last week, what we're really asking is, what is God going to do? Rahab is being put to the test, but what really we know is God is on the line here. Is God going to be faithful? When you, in your life, and you're taking steps of obedience, and it took everything you had to take that first step of obedience, you with what little ability we have, we put together our plans and we say, well, I don't know. Let's try this. I don't know what obedience looks like in specific terms, and circumstances. I just know I'm supposed to make disciples. I'm supposed to wage war with sin in my life. I'm supposed to be holy. I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus. And I don't know exactly what this looks like. I guess I'll try this. And then immediately, it looks like it's all going to fall apart. Is God going to be faithful at that moment? Is God faithful? So we're going to read the rest of these verses looking for two evidences in Rahab's life, two evidences of God's faithfulness. First, we see it. He is faithful and we see it in Rahab's protection. Let me read verses 4 through 7 and then 15 and 16. And in these verses, we see Rahab's protection is evidence of God's faithfulness. It says in verse 4, "...but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me." So Rahab's talking to the king's men. Rahab, who had every reason to say, Yeah, take them. They're upstairs. Go get them. Instead, she says, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark the men went out. I do not know where the men went, but if you pursue them quickly, you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax which were on her roof. And so verse 7, the men pursued, or they thought they were pursuing them, on the road to Jordan, to the fords, which is the shallow parts of the river. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. So the scene is this. She's sent them on a wild goose chase. Hey, the gate was just about to close. If you go, go out the gate, you'll be able to find them. And they go out the gate, and they just make it, and the gate closed. And then down in verse 15, then she let them down by a rope. Now we're saying Rahab is letting the men of Israel down out of her window... By a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall so that she was living on the wall. She said to them, now go to the hill country so that the pursuers will not happen upon you. Go hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return and then afterwards you may go on your way. And so Rahab, despite all expectations, this is a major massive plot twist. There is no earthly reason Rahab would do this. This defies all human logic. No strategist would have thought, let's go talk to Rahab and she's not going to protect us. But she does. She's a Gentile woman, not a Jew. She lives in the land of false gods, polytheism, multiple gods, not the one true God. She's a small business owner with a side job of ill repute that desperately needs to be on the good side of the authorities. The last thing she needs to do is to get crossway with the authorities. But what does she do? She protects the people of God. Now at this point in the story, as readers, we have one question to ask. It is obvious. Why? Why? Why in the world would Rahab protect these people? What explanation is there? No human logic or strategy can explain this except God. God is faithfully working on their behalf. I wonder if you can stop for a moment and just pause And think over your life. Maybe in community groups you can do this this week. Talk about it. Look back over your life. Where have you seen God do something that made no sense? But it just affirms your heart that God is faithfully working on our behalf. I pray that your heart swells with faith and swells with courage and swells with confidence as you think back of all the times God was faithful. As you read the word of God... See testimony after testimony of God's faithfulness, God's showing up when all I mean, that's the whole story of the Bible. The the Bible begins with the promise about the seed of the woman who will become the Messiah. And over and over, something threatens that promise. She can't have a baby. God provides. She can't have a baby. God provides this Someone's about to kill the line God spares. The whole point is God faithfully working out his plans and promises. Can you see him in your own life? Think about that. Talk about it. Celebrate his glory. Celebrate his faithfulness this week. We see evidence of God's faithfulness in Rahab's. Protection. We also see unbelievable faithfulness of God in Rahab's confession. Verses 8 through 14, we see the most amazing confession of faith coming from this Gentile sinner. Verse 8, it says, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to them, I know the Lord Yahweh has given you this land. What? How do you know this? I know the Lord. When you see capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh. That's the personal, the biblical personal name of the God of Israel. The God who has revealed himself through his interactions with Israel. He says, my name is Yahweh. And she comes as a non-Jew, as a Gentile sinner living in the land of prostitution and false gods. And she says, I know Yahweh has given you this land. In the following verses, we see Rahab's amazing biblical confession. But in these verses, we need to know this is what God expects of us. We, as I said, are the Gentile sinners standing in the same place as Rahab. And we see her confession The Bible tells us all of us are like sheep who have gone astray. We are all sinners, every single one of us. All of us, the wages of sin is death. And as Rahab hears the spies knocking on the door, telling her that God's people are coming, judgment is coming, death is coming, and she is left with one decision. Will I fight or will I surrender and pledge loyalty to their God? Let's look at her confession. Dale Davis has a great breaking down of her confession into three elements. In her confession, we'll look at the might of God or the might of Yahweh. We'll look at the majesty of Yahweh and we'll look at the mercy of Yahweh. Let's look at them one at a time. First of all, in verse 9 and 10, the might of Yahweh. We see her confessing the might of Yahweh in the second part of verse 9. She says, the terror of you has fallen on us. In fact, on all the inhabitants of the land, they have melted away before you. For we, all the inhabitants of the land, we have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And we have heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. We have heard about Yahweh. And we have heard of the mighty things that Yahweh has done for you. So in this confession of Rahab, we see the basis of her faith is in the might of Yahweh. The first step to confessing faith in Yahweh is knowing that he is a terrifying, holy, just God. God is righteous God is holy, God is perfect, and God is right. But understanding our condition as in rebellion against him, the only proper first step is to have our hearts melted, filled with awe, filled with terror, filled with wonder at the holiness of God here we see all the inhabitants of the land had heard about the awe and the might of God that was prophesied in the song of Moses in in Numbers chapter 21 verse 3. After they crossed the amazing Red Sea and God had done all these things, there's a song of Moses which is prophetic about the days and it says that the Lord... Her or, or excuse me, I got the I got this uh, the reference wrong. God in, in the Song of Moses prophesies about this day where all the inhabitants of the land will hear from the Egyptians what I have done on your behalf. And so here we see the inhabitants of the land have heard about the might of Yahweh that he parted the sea and then later that he responded faithfully to them to give them victory in this battle, their first battle of Sion and Og. Now, why did God intercede on their behalf at that first battle of Sion and Og? In Numbers 21, 3 that I was quoting earlier, the reason God responded to them is it says the Lord heard the voice of Israel and delivered the Them from the hands of the Canaanites. God got credit for their victory. The people simply prayed, God, fight this battle, and God was faithful. The people heard about the might of God. As you consider Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the first thing to consider is He is awesome, He is holy, He is perfect. He is righteous and we are not. Next we see that Rahab confesses the majesty of Yahweh. Look at verse 11. She says, when we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer. Because of you. And listen to this confession. For Yahweh, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. Rahab makes a beautiful confession of the majesty of Yahweh. He is she is confessing that in our polyistic world where there are many gods a fertility that we need to worship, these fickle gods that will bring us rain. He says, she says, there is one God, and he's the God of Israel. His name is Yahweh. And he is the God of heavens and the God of earth. He is the one who created. Do you know the fame and majesty of God? Do you worship that God? Not the man upstairs. But the one true God of the universe who has revealed himself to us. These verses are important for another reason. As we begin Joshua, I believe that these are put at the beginning of the book to to put us at ease to understand that when Israel comes into the promised land and is in battles and conquers, it's hard to read some of the scenes. We need to understand this is not ethnic cleansing, this is not genocide. These people heard about the one true God. All the inhabitants of the land, it says, they knew God. Their hearts were melted. They knew they were guilty of rebelling against God. They were not swearing allegiance to Him. They were not bowing down to the one true God. In fact, they were doing quite the opposite. They were stiff-necked and their hearts were hard. And they rebelled and they refused to submit. And they continued to worship the God's false gods of the land and to practice their disgusting, sinful practices and to think that they could defy and defeat God. They're not innocent, naive. It's not based on race. It's not based on anything else. So we see Rahab recognizing the might of God. Rahab recognizing the majesty of God. And they're not innocent people. In fact, in the covenant with Abraham, God said, I'm going to give you that land, but it's going to be a long time. Why? Because the iniquity of the people in that land is going to reach its fullness before I go in. And so for years and years and years and years and generations, God is gracious, He's compassionate, He's slow to anger. He's merciful, not wanting any to perish. But he is still nonetheless just. And will by means leave no guilty unpunished. In Rahab's confession, we all should get to the same point she is, where she sees my only hope is the mercy of Yahweh. Yahweh. We see her confession of the mercy of Yahweh in verses 12 through 14. It says, Now therefore, she says, Please swear to me by Yahweh, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Our only hope is that you will act mercifully with me, that you will deliver me, that you will spare me and my family. That should be the cry of our hearts. There is no mention of I have earned it, I deserve it. She's saying, please spare me, deliver me. See that what I have done is a reflection of my faith, my trust, my dependence only on the mercy of Yahweh. Rahab is throwing herself on the mercy of God. Rahab is throwing her family on the mercy of God. This is a model confession for all of us. This is such a beautiful confession because her very words are mere quotes from the Pentateuch of the Bible, the first five books of your Bible, who introduce us to Yahweh. He is the creator. He is the one who entered into covenant with Abraham and Israel. He is the one we know the rest of the story is about. So we as readers of the Bible, especially those of us, 99 if not 100% of us, are Gentile sinners. I know 100% of us are sinners, but I'm assuming 99.9% of us are Gentiles. But we are in the shoes of Rahab. And we in the Bible see the majesty of Yahweh. We see the might, the fearsome might of Yahweh. And our hearts should be melted. And we should see that judgment is coming. And God has patiently delayed because he is gracious and he is patient and he is long-suffering. And as he waits, we cannot continue to sin and practice our filthy practices and worship false gods of self or the false gods of materialism or the false gods of possessions and money. We cannot continue to spurn him knowing his judgment is coming. Our hearts should be melted and we should do one thing and we should join Rahab in confessing the mercy of God is my only hope. In verses 17 through 23, we see a beautiful picture of the gospel message of salvation. Very quickly, it says, The men said to her, We shall be free from this oath to you which you have made us swear unless we come into the land. And you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down and gather to yourself into the house your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Now it shall come about that anyone of your family, anyone who goes out of the doors, who doesn't display their own faith, any one of them is not going to be saved based on your faith if they go outside the family, they go out on their own then you're going to see that they will die. The blood shall be on their head and we shall be free. But anyone who is with you in this house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath that you've made us swear. And she said, according to your words, amen. Let it be. And so she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied that scarlet cord in the window. She took her obedience, displaying her faith. They departed and came to the hill country and remained there for three days, just as she had told them, until the pursuers returned. And now the pursuers had sought them all along the road, but had not found them, God, sovereignly, providentially, watching over them, with them in their messy steps of fearful obedience. And then the two men returned, came down from the hill country, crossed over, came to the Joshua, the son of Nun, and they related to him all that had happened. Oh, I would have loved to have been at that fire. You're not going to believe what just happened. This is crazy. And they say to Joshua, Based on what I just saw. Verse 24. Surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. So we see the significance of these interesting little scarlet red threads. And we can't help but think. I've heard this before as you read through the Bible and you can't help but think of the Passover where Moses is leading them out of Egypt across the Red Sea. And finally, Pharaoh is refusing to relent, refusing to relent, refusing to relent, plague after plague. And the final plague was the angel of death was coming and would take the life of all the firstborn sons. But God was gracious, death is coming, but he provided a way of salvation. And anyone, Egyptian, Jewish, Israel, anyone who trusted, listen to these words carefully, who trusted in God's promised provision would be saved. In that case, it was those who heard God's promise that if you will take the blood of an unblemished lamb and paint it over the doorpost, then you will see the angel of death pass over and your family will be spared of the coming judgment. In this case, anyone who entered into the household because they were putting their faith in God's provision Pictured in the scarlet Thread hanging from the window. They too would be saved of the coming death. Surely this is a beautiful picture of the gospel message of salvation. That anyone who puts their hope in the mercies of God. Who is faithful to keep his promises. Who has promised that I will deliver. I will save. Anyone who will put their hope in the blood of Jesus Christ. They will be saved. Have you beheld the might and majesty of Yahweh? And are you banking solely on the mercy of Yahweh who has said, I will provide salvation from death and the coming judgment through the scarlet blood of Jesus Christ? Notice there's no mention of our works. There's no mention of our salvation based on what, religion we've done it is solely based on the faithfulness of God to keep his promises regarding his provision of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ as we think about more application we think about the new testament mentions rahab 3 times in matthew and hebrews and james In Hebrews 11.31, we are told it was by faith. Rahab, the harlot, did not perish along with those who were disobedient. Salvation has always been the same. It is by faith through God's provision, based on His mercy. In fact, she in Matthew is recorded in the genealogy of Jesus. In Matthew, the whole purpose of the genealogy is to show that this is the promised Savior. And he was the son of Abraham as promised. He was the son of David as promised. And it mentions Rahab. Rahab as the mother-in-law of Ruth. Two Gentile women are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus to say that God's salvation and blessing is available to anyone. Jew, Gentile, no matter how much of a prostitute we've been in our lives, God's mercy is available to anyone who will trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. And to those of us Who have trusted in Christ. We go to James. And James uses Rahab to say. That faith without works is dead. Faith without works is no saving faith. And so as we come to Joshua. And we think about ourselves. Our first step of faith, is to trust only in Jesus as our Savior. And then we face each day the calling of obedience. This church cannot accomplish her mission other than each individual sitting in the chairs today obeying God, fulfilling your calling, your calling to fight sin, to fight What resists the holiness of God living out in your life? The calling to obey, to make disciples, to go and take scary steps of faith, to start Bible studies, to go on mission trips, to tell your friend about Jesus, to tell your neighbor to come over and have dinner with you, to sacrifice your time and your money and your possessions because you see what a great treasure God is and you use it all for the glory of God and for His purposes. What step of obedience has God called you to take? God is saying to you, take the step. Do not be a coward. Do not cower down. I am with you. I am faithful. I will not be a failure. My prayer is that we start hearing all kinds of reports about how our people are filled with faith to obey what God has commanded. Let's pray together. Oh, Yahweh, creator, Sustainer, Mighty God, Majestic God of heaven and earth, you are the one true God, holy, just, perfect, righteous. And may each one of us have our hearts melted before you now. May we, in recognition of our sin, be filled with fear and awe and respect and wonder. And may we join Rahab in seeing our only hope is the blood of Jesus. May we take refuge in the blood of Jesus. May every person here consider their own condition before the Holy God and choose to take your first step of faith and that is to trust his promised provision of Jesus to offer you forgiveness and reconciliation. God, do a powerful work in the people's heart. Make us strong and courageous to fight the battles that we have, to fight battles of discouragement That are laced with so much doubt and uncertainty about you. To fight the battles of despair. Lord, give us strength and courage. To fight for relationships in our life. To honor you in every aspect of our life. Lord, give us courage to stand for you in our homes. To say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May every man in this church be men of God, bold and courageous. Leading their family to, to worship the one true God. To give their lives to live for the glory of Jesus. May we raise our children to be strong and courageous in the Lord. May our kids be light in the dark schools they enter. May they fight the battles they face each day with courage and confidence and strength knowing that you are with them and if you are with them, no one can stand against them. May the men and women of this church go into their workplaces and be beacons of light and love and justice and mercy and compassion. May we be kind and loving and filled with grace and peace. May we be peacemakers Lord, may we shine your glory as we win the battles over sin in our own hearts. Lord God, make us faithful as our hearts swell with confidence in your faithfulness. Lord, give us courage to fulfill our calling one person at a time so that this church will be a light to your glory. Lord, as we sing about the altar that we come to, I pray every person here will do business with you, that your spirit will move powerfully in our hearts and bring about a mighty spiritual transformation among us as a people.